0: Pitched Pierce inside the 10 and he'll take it to the house 75 yards
1: and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up for What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. The Texans are now the only winless team in the National Football League after going down 34 to 24 on Sunday Energy against the Chargers. It was another defeat, but it feels like a variation on a theme. Trying to put the content together seems a little bit repetitive, but to talk us through this week and try and help us out as a first-time guest, um, is a first time guest. He's the co-host of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, Mr. Jeremy Branham. Jeremy, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I uh, always enjoy talking about the Texans and uh, looking forward to the conversation.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I think it's, um, it's, it kind of feels very similar to last season again, Um, and every week this year seems a bit like that. But Lovey admitted a little bit reluctantly as a man who's very positive um, in front of the media, his pressers, Uh, but he did say we're not a good football team right now. Uh, Four games in, how do you, how do you sort of agree with that assessment?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with Lovey. He he would know more than us and willing to admit it, I thought was – I thought that was interesting uh, because, you know, he he has been positive. He's talked about being close. Uh, The tie and you know, the first week of the season too, like I wonder if he goes back and, you know, makes a decision on fourth down to punt for a tie a little bit differently if he didn't think he was going to be a good football team in four weeks. So it's kind of interesting that he was willing to admit that. Um, I agree with it though. Like you mentioned in the opening, they're the only winless team in the entire league. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of expectations for them at the start of the season. And I would have never predicted 0-3-1 because of the tie, but they're not far off of what I thought they were going to be through four games.
1: Yeah. I I think that the part of that quote that left out there was you said, we're not a good football team yet. Right. Um, What do you think is the difference between this team winning and losing right now what's the main we'll get into some of the more detail but just from a like a a grander sort of broader view where do you what's the yet part what do they need to face what can they coach up what's actually fixable what's feasible
0: yeah see i think there's two ways to look at that um if i'm looking at it from his point of view and i'm i'm looking at not yet uh it's the young players because you know you're not trading for anybody really nick casario is not going to trade future picks to help this year's roster that that would be foolish um there, I mean, there's young players on this team that you would expect to get better. I don't think Davis Mills has played good football. I think Davis Mills can be better. You know, you can say that you think Davis Mills can be better while also not, not thinking Davis Mills is the future. I think Davis Mills has been better the last two games. I would expect him to be better uh, at some point throughout the rest of the year. Uh, Damian Pierce is kind of coming into his own right. He's a rookie that you would expect to get better, although, you know, you you would take the game he had against the Chargers all, every day, of the, every week in, in the NFL uh, defensively, their best players are defensively, I think. You know you spend the number three pick on Derek Stingley Jr., you're expecting him to be one of your more talented players. You select Jalen Petrie early in the second round, you expect him to be more, one of your more talented players, and I think that they will be. And as rookies play more games, they get better, right? You, you, you expect them to be better in game 14 than game four. So I, I think you can see some development there, but overall in terms of do I think the Texans are going to be much better in week 14 as now? I don't see it. I just don't see the talent on this roster being there. I think it's a more talented roster than last year, but relative to the NFL, it's the worst roster in the NFL.
1: Yeah. I think it's it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because like you said, it's like there's a lot of good storylines in there of rookie guys who are developing. You can see that. um, But it's perhaps a more promising team, but more prone to making mistakes. And I think you saw that. Particularly on those two Eckler uh, runs for touchdowns, uh, you know, getting beat by the same play. Linebackers running into each other. Um, on that Mike Evans big separation where he got fifty plus yards, ran right across the formation. I think Wallow and, it might be Reeves, maybe literally ran into each other. Um, didn't know if it was a run, didn't know if it was a pass. And I think there's there's a lot of I suppose there's a lot of kind of. It's a new coaching staff, but I, I I do think the players are more promising, Jeremy. But I go back to the the viewpoint of, I don't know if they're better coached this year or not this year. I can't make my mind up. I know it's still early and you can't write the book after four weeks, but there's still a 17-game slate to play. But yeah, I think when you when I, when I saw that play back today, um, you know, various times just not setting the uh, setting it setting your uh, in your rush lanes leaving them wide open you know simple draw play 22 yard touchdown for Eckler it it seemed to compound against a team who can't run the ball previously last year and this year then run it on you very easily and I think when it comes down to that like guys get pushed around up front overly focused on gap shooting not necessarily holding their gaps at the point of attack and being aware of what kind of play is what the run is um it feels a little bit distraught. And 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 the and the irony is the strength is the defense, absolutely, but when you're coughing up 280 yards on the ground last week, when you're letting a guy have a didn't have a touchdown for a long time, come back in and, and score three and make it look very easy at times, make their offensive line look really good as well. Um just lost our left tackle. Slayer comes in from makes his debut six round pick, guy that wasn't overly that highly rated all look like really good players against the Texans. And I think some of that for me boils down to coaching.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair way to look at it. And defensively, like offensively, you can compare last year to this year and they have two different coordinators, right? Like Pep Hamilton came back, but it's a much different offensive system than they were running last year. So you can look at it offensively and see how it compares. And it's an apple and oranges comparison to where it was a year ago to where it is now. But defensively you still have Lovey Smith as, you know, the defense coordinator. He sure he was elevated to the head coach, but he's made it very clear that he's capable of calling plays as the head coach defensively. It is still very much his defense. Um, we were talking about that on the show today. At what point does Lovey Smith gives get some blame? And Lovey Smith's an upgrade from a head coach point of view on Sundays, game man. Management than David Cully. Uh, I would argue that's not a very high bar, though. And Lovey Smith has had a couple of instances where uh, his game management has been questioned. Uh, the tie. Uh, I know we've talked about personnel part uh, packages on our show, you know, fourth and one with Rex Burkhead. Now, is that Pep Hamilton? Is it Lovey? Uh, I mean, you can have that argument, but, you know, Lovey's defense wasn't good last year statistically. They're in the bottom of the league. They're currently bottom of the league. So, you know, it's, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think it's a combination of both. Uh, I think it's fair to ask the question if the game is past lovey by, he hasn't had a great defense in a really long time in the NFL. Now his personnel is not great, but I think it's a combination of both. I think the personnel is not good. And the coaching right now has been, you know, I was, I was somewhat impressed with them the first three weeks, but or the first two weeks, but then they got ran all over by Chicago who's a one dimensional team and doesn't trust fields to throw the football. And then this past week, Granted, it was the best offense that they were playing so far this year with the Chargers, but they put up huge offensive numbers.
1: Yeah, just take care of the defense for a bit. How do, they, how do they float this for the rest of the year? Because ultimately, if they don't get turnovers, things go south pretty quickly. you got mm-hmm. linebackers who not a single one of them can play a damn, really, in this league, and you're hoping Christian Harris comes back and makes that unit look a little bit better. But, you know, for all the talk of Garrett Wallow... Luke lost out there at times. I think he's limited to specialties, but I thought that watched him at TCU. Um, I hope I'm proved wrong. Um, you've got Reeves Mabin out there. You've got, you know, Blake Cashman dropping an interception really early in the game. He's coming. Pierre Lewis is on IR. Like that position was a mess. And a lot of people in training camp, you know, talked about that as a strength. And I, I was, it, it perplexed me at the time, Jeremy reading that and seeing that because I just thought, well, on paper, I can't see how any of these guys are good. Christian Kirksey just, his only, only strength is downhill. Um, a defense that's coached by Lovey's son, um, a, a pass rush that was completely neutralized this week, no turnovers. I, I I struggle to see how they're going to survive the rest of the season um,
0: in the hope that we would progress
1: from last year's blowouts.
0: I don't see it either. Um, you, you alluded to the four-man rush that... You know, Lovey doesn't like to blitz a whole lot. He wants to create pressure with his four uh, down linemen. And like you mentioned, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure. They they had one sack. Uh, I don't remember many hurries. Now you have to credit Herbert. You can get rid of the football. He knows where to go um, based on, you know, what he's seeing defensively. I don't see it either. The the linebacking unit's the worst position group on this team, and that includes the quarterback position. Um, Christian Harris – again he's a rookie um how much do you want to count on him like i don't think christian harris is going to be a great football player like that Uh, i think we'll see the flashes i think we'll see the talent like we've seen it with stingley like we've seen it with petrie yet he was drafted after those guys um now it's fair to say he is immediately going to be their most talented linebacker but he's not going to be playing excellent football um so yeah that's that's a huge area of weakness and especially for a lovey defense i think lovey relies on his linebackers quite a bit and he doesn't doesn't have the personnel to you know get excellent results from the style of defense he's wanting to run yeah i think christian harris
1: is going to give you you know the probably the knock against the why he kind of dropped a little bit was his concerns converted safety concerns against the run um, and I think it's probably time as well Jerry, to kind of open up the conversation about Roy Lopez is not playing well up front he's getting turned he's, he's, he's consistently got his back to the play it's happened far too many times this year there was a couple of times late in the game he made some plays I think Malik Collins is is not warranted that deal um, and I think that was always the concern when a guy got paid before his form dip you pay him here He's for, I know he's kind of got holding a knee injury But, you know, there was a play where he got into the backfield, starts chasing the running back, and the ball is still in Herbert's hands at the time. So those two guys, I think, particularly have regressed, certainly have been manhandled at the point of the attack. And if you just take a still frame every time a team runs a ball, um, it's pinball stuff. And I I think Lovey's going to have to, at some point, think, well, actually... You're not going to be able to get pressure. You know, it was what I think there was two hits, one sack on Herbert against a line that's definitely not a strength, definitely not an upper tier unit. Uh, but just rushing the four with the guys we have, when Jerry Hughes is your best guy, that in, in no circumstance should a 33-year-old rusher be, you know, be a positive for you. Um, particularly when you're rebuilding um, Jonathan Grenard has been posted missing this season I think as well I think you know I, I certainly think You know And I, I said that a lot I didn't think he, he, his sacks were high quality Beating men around the edge Bending Getting you know Getting low um, Underneath tackles or, or beating them with a, a ray of hand fighting moves It was more effort And a bit of push-pull moves. So I think when you add all that together It's a bit of a sorry mix Those front four guys When you need that to get home Consistently This defence just seems to completely fall down and i don't know who gets better and i don't know where the production will come from
0: it's going to have to come from coaching and that's something that's a, a fear um i've been surprised with grenard specifically um i, I thought his work uh i thought his, his production would be a lot better than it's been but what's really surprising to me is his snap counts his snap counts are just roughly above 50 percent the last two games which it's you know, you're in a rebuild. John Grenard's in his third year. You you thought he might take a step up, however he's getting the sacks, to get to double digits, at least flirt with double-digit sacks. And Rasheem Green's playing just as much as he is. Jerry Hughes is playing more than he is. And I understand that you want, you know, a rotation there, keep bodies fresh. But Grenard's supposed to be your best player, and he hadn't been. Um, that's a bit alarming to me in terms of counting on John Grenard to be a foundational piece of the rebuild uh, you're right about Malik Collins. I, I think Casario has been pretty good at finding players on this 53 that would be good finds for winning teams. Like Malik Collins last year would have been a good find if you had a playoff type roster and he's an added piece. Uh, same thing with Jerry Hughes. I mean, what, what contender wouldn't like to have Jerry Hughes as their third defensive end? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, I think Casario has done good there, which is encouraging when the Texans get back to being a playoff contender, uh, encouraging if Nick Casario is around for that playoff contender. Uh, Roy Lopez, you know, last year he was a nice player, but he was kind of a niche player, right? You know, being every down defensive tackle in the NFL, I wasn't sure if he was ever going to be that guy. Now, it's worth to give it a shot. It's worth to see. You know, in a lot of ways this year is kind of you're learning a lot about, about a lot of guys. Um, you're learning to see if they can be every down players. like we we, we spend a lot of time talking about Davis Mills because quarterback's a very popular position in the NFL. But guys like Roy Lopez, you're finding out about him. Guys like John Grenard, can you count on him to be your best defensive end? Um so there's to, to me two thousand and twenty two is all about answering the questions that you have. Roy Lopez, after a rookie year, you want to see if he can be a steal in the sixth round. Um, John Grenard, you want to see if he can be, I don't know if I was ever going to call him an elite defensive end, but maybe like a tier two, tier three defensive end that you can rely on to get 10 sacks a game. And he hasn't shown that. Uh, you're right, that Jerry Hughes is your best defensive end is a little troublesome for a rebuilding team. He's a much better fit for a team that has playoff you know level defense. Um, the front seven, he's talked about a lot, you know, when, especially last week against Chicago. It's kind of a tell of two different games, right? Chicago, they just ran what 280 yards and then yesterday Justin Herbert had a huge game uh but both kind of come down to the front seven not getting pressure yesterday and then not being able to, the the inability to stop the run really all year but it was really uh on display against Chicago
1: yeah and I I just think when you when you're two defensive tackles are just getting turned around or, or shooting mm-hmm. past the ball um you know the 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 second it's handed off, they're three yards in the backfield. They're not helping the run at that point, I think. And I know that's part of the scheme and that's the style, but I think it goes back to that whole point of, you know, people are faster. Linemen are more athletic. They can get up the field quicker. And uh, I think, yeah, it just goes back to that at that point. Has this scheme been eroded with time in the way that, you know, players are more athletic, schemes are more intricate. And I, I think at times it looks... It, it looks dated. I think Mario Addison coming back could potentially be your best pass rusher. Who that goes out, I don't know. I think Rashim Green's been serviceable. Um, yeah. He's probably been the best out of a bad bunch, I would say. I think, you know, Jerry Hughes who filled the stat column, but, um, you know, there's, he's going to have up and downs at, at, at his age of, of of the physical wear and tear that he's had. So maybe Addison comes back in off IR now that this week. We'll wait and see how that develops. But I suppose the big one is Davis Mills, and you never get away from talking about it. You touched upon it there. Um, Did this week's performance change anything of your view of Davis?
0: No, it didn't. Um, You know, I I think for the first time in 2022, he showed the ability that he can make big-time NFL throws, but we saw that last year. Uh, There was back-to-back plays on the touchdown drive. I think it was in the fourth quarter. Oh, quick go route, Nico Collins dropped it into a bucket, and that was whenever the Chargers were playing back in coverage, too. They are trying to keep everything in front of them, so I thought that was a really good throw. And on the very next snap, he hits uh, Brandon Cooks on a deep post for the touchdown. So we saw two high-level NFL throws from Davis Mills. I thought Davis Mills already had that in the bag. Uh, we saw it last year. Now, we haven't seen it a whole lot in 2022, so that's somewhat encouraging, but there, there's still so many inconsistencies, and – you can point to the fact that he hasn't played a lot. Uh, I understand that. But to me, the biggest attribute for a quarterback is decision-making. I think you 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 have to be a good decision-maker. You look at all the great quarterbacks, and they all make really good decisions. I mean, Tom Brady, he's obviously the pinnacle at the position, but great decision-maker. Aaron Rodgers, great decision-maker. Uh, some of the younger quarterbacks who are really good – uh, don't have that level of decision making, like a Pat Mahomes, a Josh Allen. Sometimes they can get into trouble. Or Herbert, I think, is a really good decision maker. So there's so many plays where Davis Mills, you go back and you watch them where you're like, mm, what was he thinking on this play? Mm, he had Pharaoh Brown here. Mm, he had Nico Collins here. You can look at. I mean, I would say almost three quarters of his pass attempts this year, and you're kind of wondering, what What are you seeing in the defense? Why are you going here with the ball? Why aren't you getting rid of it sooner? Why are you holding on to it too long? And I, I think it's a little bit more than the inexperience. I just don't know if he's capable of playing the position at a high level. Um, my biggest thing, too, with quarterbacks, like Davis Mills showed us two high-level NFL throws. Every backup quarterback in the NFL is capable of making two high-level NFL throws. Um these are the top 64 quarterbacks in the, in the entire world. I mean, if you just take the two deep from the quarterback position of every NFL team. You're looking at 64 quarterbacks who are the very best in the entire world. So it's not so much about being able to sh- show flashes. It's about your bar and your floor is higher than everybody else's. It's consistent play. It's consistent quality decision-making. It's consistently being accurate with the football. It's consistently being on time and, I just don't see it in Davis Mills. I have I've really never seen it. He showed more flashes at the end of last year than he has this season, but you know, I hate I hate calling it. And look, I'm I'm excited to still see the rest of the year of Davis Mills. I really am, even though I'm really looking forward to some of these college quarterbacks. Like, I don't want Davis Mills to get benched. He he needs to play every game. And I I hope he proves me wrong. I hope at the end of the year where I was like, wow, that was great progression and great development from Davis Mills. But I can't really believe it. I just can't convince myself to buy it because I haven't I haven't seen it enough.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think and I think that's that's the point. I think a lot of fans will hold on to that. That, that six play drive okay, that it, it got up and running in the fourth quarter. The first time they've done that this year. Um they got the screen pass out to Rex Burkhead, ironically, um, <laughs> on a third and six got there, then it was two throws and you were in the end zone. You think, well, yeah, this is what it's meant to look like. But that's just so infrequent and it's not consistent enough to the point where, yeah, you're right. I mean, any any guy on a Ross Chase Daniels is sitting on the side there 13 years in the league. He could do that at some point as well. He may not now, but, you know, there's guys that are staying in the league and that's what keeps them in this league. And I think you go from having flashes when you first get in a side to come and play some ball and then it, then it very quickly becomes about consistency. And I think mm-hmm. the decision-making point you touched on there, Jimmy, it was, you know... Bang on, because I was watching back today. At the end of the second half, they're trying to drive. It's the second time they get the ball back after the 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 touch, the seventy five yard touchdown from Damian Pierce. And there's three plays back to back where he just picks the wrong pass. There's one where he guns it high at Pierce from when Nico was coming over the middle. There's one where Brandon Cooks is wide open. He sails a ball, lands out of bounds to Chris Moore, and and just small instances like that add up very, very quickly at this level and it becomes too insurmountable to have a cohesive and consistent offense that can move the ball. And that's why you end up being 21 points down at home. And I think that that's the issue with Davis, and I think he's proven to this point now in the season that you can't be that inconsistent, you can't lack the necessary decision-making skills when you've only got, you know, one and a half seconds to pick pick your check down, and even when it is the check down's the right option, he's not taking it, first half was all checked down, let it, it loose a little bit, got it moving, but I think, and the big play that turned this was the worst play call of the day. Jeremy was. When they got the ball back, De'Andre Carter will fumble the ball. We all know that. We've seen it far too many times. They gave you a great chance to go and take a one-point lead. And when it came to... I know Kenyon Green blew up his pass protection and he didn't have a great day, Kenyon. Um, So it wasn't all his fault. But after those two big time throws, you think, right, go and do it again. That's where the good guys come in and they turn the screw, they flip the switch. And uh, and you end up kicking the field goal, and I think after that point, everybody knew that was that was all she wrote.
0: Yeah, I've I've called him on my show uh, a game manager, not a game winner. Um, I think, and that that's a perfect illustration of it. This is your opportunity to go put a team on your back and win a game. And I understand that the Texans have a lot of holes, other than the quarterback position. I mean, Pep Hamilton has had some questionable play play calling. I think it's fair to question him. Uh, the offensive line, in my opinion, had their worst game yesterday, especially in pass protection. Uh, run protection was fine, but pass protection not not very good. And other than Brandon Cooks, who really hasn't been good this year, he had a good game against the Chargers, but his first three games was not playing like a top receiver on an NFL team. And then after that, you don't have a whole lot from a you know a weapon point of view. You know the the weaponry is not great for Davis Mills. But any really good quarterback, you feel, can win any game with whoever he's got any really good quarterback you feel is a playoff contending team with any team he has, even when Deshaun Watson and the Texans were terrible in his last year is with the Texans and they only won four games. You went into that season thinking they were playoff caliber a debacle of a year, Bill O'Brien got fired. We know the story, but you still go into every game thinking Deshaun Watson's capable of winning a game for you. Um, in terms, I think sometimes too, that Like, you can escape poor decision-making as a quarterback and still show flashes of being pretty good. Like, Kyler Murray, I don't think he's a very good decision-maker. I think it's pretty well-documented. But Kyler Murray has elite traits that sometimes can overcome that decision-making, right? He's an incredible scrambler. He's really fast. He's got a cannon for an arm. Uh, You know, he's got one of the better arms, I think, in in the entire league. But he's a poor decision-maker. So we see all the bells and whistles with Kyler Murray, and we think he's going to be a great quarterback. And then we look at his decision-making, and it's not so good. But a lot of times, all of his talent can overcome that decision making, and he still looks like a potential top 10 quarterback. Davis Mills, I don't think, you know, he doesn't have uh, his best attribute needs to be his decision making. His arm's good enough to be in the NFL. I'm not uh, somebody who thinks that a quarterback needs a cannon. You don't. Uh, you can win without a cannon. We, we've seen that a lot. But you have to be really accurate with the football. His his, his strength is not his accuracy, which is a problem. Um, he's not he's mobile enough, but he's not incredibly mobile. He's not a huge athlete. He's not going to beat you up too much scrambling the football. So a quarterback like Davis Mills, who doesn't really have one quality that stands out more than anything else, has to be his decision-making. Tom Brady's best you know, quality is his decision-making. His best quality is his footwork in the pocket. Not a great athlete, can't run, doesn't have a cannon for an arm, uh, but is very accurate great decision maker and has great footwork in the pocket so if Mills is going to succeed in the NFL footwork in the pocket has to get better his accuracy has to get better which is scary because a lot of times accuracy doesn't improve but decision making needs to be his best quality and right now it could potentially be as worse
1: yeah and where do you think Pep was left in all this because I mean kind of the similar scenario to Lovey, it was kind of Blinded by a sense of professionalism or Mm new that was perhaps, you know, misguided, I think, and everybody's probably guilty of that in some way, just because the the freshness brings back, you know, brings a a level of impetus that people will, will take as a positive, but... Where do you think Pep's left in all this, uh, Jim? Because I think his use of personnel at times is terrible. You know, that play call on the interception in the third, and when you had to take a timeout, when you had the timeout, that was your play call. Slow developing route. Only one of the guys gets open against that coverage. Nico's in-cut isn't great early in the game, isn't sharp enough, and uh, and you know, the and um Titus gets walked back by Khalil Mack into his lap. Looks like he takes a bit off the throw, sails it a little, uh, but he's sailing it anyway. But I think there's just the use of personnel is poor at times. If you take away that long run, you know they only got fifty six yards out with that long run, so we're not running the ball well against a team who can't defend the run, and the 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 passing the passing game took up takes takes too long to get going. You know, and it's 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 quarters of time of anemic output. So. I suppose it shouldn't be a shock because he was calling plays in a sub league not so long ago, um, but I, I think Pep Hamilton. It might be trust in his players. It might be trust in the in his quarterback. But it certainly feels like it's very narrow, and it's certainly not giving defenses too many headaches of what they're what they're running. I, I think it's not helping Davis. But that may be a, a, a symptom of his confidence and I don't know. But how do you how do you see Pep's future and what's his sort of confident levels like in terms of how why this offense is 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 incredibly limited?
0: I think you summed it up pretty well. I think it is a pretty good reflection of what you see on the defensive side of the ball, where you know it's really hard to gauge what, where Lovey is, where Pep is as a play caller because of the lack of talent. Um, overall though, I think pep is average at best. He he falls somewhere on the average at best, uh, to below average spectrum for me, uh, as a, as a play caller in the NFL. But look, I think if you look over the course of his career, he's already proven that he's proven that he can be a quality play caller when he has really good talent. Uh, he was fine when he had Andrew luck in Indy. He had a couple of really good years calling plays and then the year he didn't have Andrew luck, he got fired mid season. So I mean, a play caller who needs good players to call plays uh, to have success, and then when he doesn't have those players to have success calling plays, you're you're mediocre. You're you're not really winning games. You're a wash. You're a zero. Um, Maybe doesn't lose games, but not winning them. Um, He doesn't help Davis. And I, I think that you look at Tim Kelly last year. Tim Kelly put Davis Mills in some positions to have success. The last five games that Davis Mills started were much better than the four games that we've seen from Davis Mills uh with pep hamilton and he should be better right you expect a year two quarterback to be better than what they were in year one um so uh, some of it does fall on play calling i think that the team's better around uh, davis mills offensively now than it was in his last five games last year now it's not much better but you still have brandon cooks uh you have laramie tunsell back so you should have better protection uh, you have Damian Pierce, who's a much better running back than what you were getting in the last five games last year. So the pieces around Davis Mills were relative to the NFL, still not very good, but relative to the five games that Davis Mills had in 2021 is pretty considerably better. So all of the variables tell you that Davis Mills should be producing better. The only two things that you can point to as to why he's not is his own play, which at times he's you know been erratic, but he's also had shown some flashes. And then the play calling. I don't think that it is a, a system that really uh, elevates Davis Mills. I think Davis Mills is getting frustrated, too. Uh, if you listen and kind of listen between the lines a little bit from Davis Mills talking about some plays. I mean, yesterday talking about that fourth and one, you know, we got to pick them up. They, 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 they just completely whiffed on Khalil Mack. And he, Davis Mills mentioned that. Uh, if you go listen to Davis Mills last Wednesday, he talk, talked about how we got to improve as a scheme. Uh, So you can hear Davis Mills doing a little bit of deflecting, which, you know, I don't want to read too much into it, but it it doesn't seem like Davis Mills is really enjoying his time uh, with Pep Hamilton calling the place.
1: Yeah, and you wonder where that is. I think you've seen frustration in some of the body language as well. So for some of the receivers, when they're not been getting the ball, I think Nico Collins continues to be underserved. He's often open. Um, You can see his reaction when he got that long catch um and certainly you know and i think there was there was an instance the other week there where he sort of threw him short um mm-hmm. and you could see the frustration you've seen that with brandon cooks at times and i think there's obviously something bubbling under the surface and whether that's pep or that's his if that's just his choice of plays or the way he's managing the guys i don't know um but it does
0: make one, you of, the, wonder. Real quick, yeah. one of the other things that's real frustrating with pep too is and this is this is something that everybody's been talking about. It's the fourth and one going with Rex Burkhead, right? Which, I mean, I, if you are going to go with a passing play, I can understand why you are using Rex Burkhead, but you are not selling it because after Week One, Rex Burkhead's had three carries. Like when Rex Bur- and Rex Burkhead's still playing a good amount of snaps. I mean, you, you can't play Damian Pierce one hundred percent of the snaps, but you are you are giving you are you are showing your hand. If Rex Burkhead's in the game right now for the Texans, it's a pass play. And look, I understand that Rex Burkhead's better in pass plays, maybe than Damian Pierce. But you're also telling the defense what you're going to do.
1: Yeah, no, and I think the best drive was when their second touchdown. Ironically, it was Burkhead that caught it and run, and, uh, and and went to the pylon. Um, but that drive, I think it was about seven or eight plays, but just shy ninety yards. But two of the receptions were Damian Pierce, and one of them was he he kept himself up. A great balance at the point of contact, kept himself up, kept, you know, kept you ahead of the chain rather than behind. Um, and, you know, it was a good, good variance running, running there. And then Pierce picks up the, the, the passing, the, the late linebacker coming in. I think it was Drew Tranquil coming in. Uh, then Jordan Aitkins who comes back um, and looks, you know, arguably better than most of your receiving options. Um <laughs> Catches another one, takes it in, and then the next play they go they go to Burkehead, and they are fooled by that. Um, perhaps they shouldn't have been, but uh, but yeah, the most balanced attack or drive of the day was one that was predominantly David and Pierce. Now, yeah, you got to you got to keep his workload to a level. Um... But I think yeah the the, the predictability and the utilisation of options is, is poor. I think it was it was noticeable when Philip Dorset got in the game later. They started to move the ball better because he's got speed. He's, he requires attention, but again he's not being used. Um, the the, the match up of. O.J. Howard against Derwin James, you were not going to win that, but they kept going back to that. And I just think for the limited, we talked about this last week, but the limited assets you've got, they are nowhere near getting the full utility out of these pass catching options. And I think as long as that continues, Davis and the evaluation will be hindered. And I totally agree, but I don't think he's the answer. I think he's a decent backup type level. I've always thought that. I've never changed my opinion on that. There is flashes, but they just can't be consistent enough. But he will never become more consistent if he's hemmed in by this. and But the, we are now seeing this, or that is certainly the view for a second scheme and a second play caller. So there's a common denominator there as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked all off-season about to get a fair evaluation of Davis Mills that you needed, you know, you needed to keep Laramie Tunsil. You needed to keep Brandon Cooks. You needed to give a, a certain level of talent around Davis Mills to get a fair observation. Uh, because if you don't, what do you really have? we never really thought we were going to have to discuss that about the offense coordinator position. Like one of the reasons that maybe we're not getting a full, honest evaluation of Davis Mills. And and you and I sound like we're on the same boat that, you know, we don't see Davis Mills as, you know, a franchise quarterback. Can he start some games in a pinch? Can he prove us wrong to where maybe he is a a top 25 starter in the league? I, I think he can do that. I'm never going to see him as a quarterback that can lead a team to the playoffs or at least be a scare. Uh, to every team around the NFL, but I I do think that, I think that's why we're getting the frustration of Davis Mills, is that he knows how important of a season this is. He knows that this year in a lot of ways is going to define who he is as a quarterback in the NFL, and I think Davis Mills is frustrated that the offense is limiting him. I don't think it's limiting greatness. I think it's limiting a top 25, top 30 quarterback to play below that, to play at a backup standard, and I, I think that's why he's getting frustrated.
1: And definitely the the bet and we'll come back to a little bit on that later, but just the Damian Pierce's performance, big seventy-five yard touchdown, pro I think probably the longest one. Certainly but longer than any run they had last year. Last one I can remember was Lamar Miller on Thursday night football twenty so twenty eighteen, um against Tennessee where he took it the full the full distance. But that was good to see an explosive play. I think Damien Pierce needed that, he needed to show long speed, he needed to have some form of production because it was starting to become, you know, the longer it goes on, it's talked about, but it starts to become a myth. And I, I suppose the fear is in this season, when the cupboard's so bare, it's easy to over-glamorise, you know, like we're talking about the coaching staff is always to over-glamorise the talent. You know, I think Jonathan Grenard was was the beneficiary of that last year from a defensive point of view. But for, for Damien, it was good to see that... Um, where do you, how do you assess Damien so far? Obviously he's getting the most carries, so therefore he's the leading rookie rusher. Uh, but how, how do you characterize his performance and how good do you think his potential is? Because somebody asked me last week, Jeremy, is he a lead back? Is he a three down every, I, th- I think he can be over time. Yeah. I'm still not seen it yet. Um, But h- how do you view Pearson, and where do you think he can get to?
0: You know, there's so few th- real three down backs now in the NFL. There's not many. You know, Christian McCaffrey, uh, do you consider Austin Eckler a three down back? You know, he doesn't run between the tackles as well as a lot of the others. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is, uh, I mentioned McCaffrey, but you know, he's hurt a lot. Uh, Derek Henry, you can make the case isn't, you know, a traditional three down back just because he doesn't really catch the ball out of the backfield all that well. Nick Chubb's fantastic. Um, you know, there's not a lot of those guys in the NFL. I don't think that I, I I'm, I love Damian Pierce. I think Damian Pierce is really good. Um, What's challenging about Damian Pierce is how many teams are willing to give a rookie running back the second contract. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to look four years down the road with Damian Pierce. Um, I, I like what he's shown a lot as a rookie like you. I was real happy. You know, I didn't think he had that kind of breakaway speed. I thought he was going to get caught on that 75 yard touchdown. So to be able to, to keep the distance and actually go the full distance was something that was very encouraging to me. I think he's gotten better in the passing game. And like, he should, he shouldn't be great at it yet. He's only played four games in his NFL career. It's not something that was very, you know, it wasn't a big thing for him in Florida. Uh, He had a great block yesterday in pass protection. It's like, okay, uh, this guy's coming around a little bit. They didn't trust him in pass protection in week one. And now he's picking up some blocks, uh, some blitzes. He's recognizing some blitzes. So I thought that was really good. He had a high number of catches yesterday. They just didn't go for anything. They, They didn't go in for any yards. So uh, kind of unfortunately for him, I don't think he has a choice. Like he has to be the Texans' three-down back because they, there's nothing behind him. Um, I think the future's bright for him. I don't know if he's ever going to be a top five-ish running back. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to be, you know, this you know new generation running back where he has a ton of catches. I think he's a really good runner of the football. Uh, I think he's a r- really good player to have for the Texans. Uh, they they got to give him help though. Uh, he can't he can't play every snap and you know, Marlon Mack was supposed to be a guy that was really supposed to be the starter. Um, It'd be great if this team had another running back that could share the the workload with Damian Pierce. Because the thing that I fear is, you know, we see how long is the shelf life for running backs? If running backs start to take a beating, they start to, their career trajectory starts to go down. So like the worry that I have, and I haven't really seen it a whole lot. It seems like the Texans are being responsible with Damian Pierce is that he plays 75% of the snaps. He's has 25 30 touches and by the time you're thinking about bringing him back after his four year contract it's mm, this guy's taking a beating and why it's frustrating now is because you don't expect to win a whole lot of games. Do you want Damian Pierce to touch the ball 30 times a week for the entire year and win three games? I would argue that's not in the best interest of Damian Pierce and it's not in the best interest of the Texans yeah. long term. Yeah, no, I
1: think there's a a a, a big element there of you they've so chronically mismanaged that position for a second year in a row. Um, It's just been by sheer luck that you've got a guy in the fourth round who's been better (laughs) than expected. And you've you've got a situation whereby you're almost punished himself, or you're punishing yourself and him by running him more than, you know, the 15, 20 times a game max that he should be out there. And I think, you know, when they ran him late in the game, uh, oh, yeah. when it was done I just thought like what you know this just seems so naive and short sighted. and I think yeah, you want Damian Pierce to be coming into his best form not even next year but perhaps you know the, the 2024 season where this has likely got a, a chance to crescendo if, if things go right you know and, and so many things need to, to go in their direction for that but that's when you kind of want it to be there and um yeah and you're and you're right i mean you just don't pay these guys because as you said i mean he's already on the injury report last week with a hip you know and you think well you know, that's not a good sign early doors so you know he'll plug away and he'll not shy away from contact he'll not shy away from taking carries but yeah i think that that position the way in which they've handled it i think is 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 not fair on him and why you can't get a guy, you know, if it's if it's Ogunbali or it's or it's a guy off the street who can come in yeah. and just take ten carries a game just to lighten the load a little bit, you know, from now until the end of the season, that's huge, I think. But it's it's a worry, definitely.
0: I mean, you, you look who they've played too. Um, just go through the schedule. The, the Colts have arguably the best running back in the game. He was the best running back coming into the year, and they have a pretty electric change of pace guy behind him in Hines uh denver and you know they got some bad news but when the texans play him javante williams is second year running back that you know came into the league more decorated than damian pearson was highly thought of to have a breakout season but behind him you have melvin gordon who three four years ago was one of the best running backs in the nfl uh chicago i was bullish on um herbert even before he went off on the texans and like you have David Montgomery, you have Herbert, you got a pretty good little one, two punch. And, you know, the chargers are kind of weak uh, with what they have at the running back position. I like Eckler, especially for what they do. Cause you know, he's so dynamic out of the backfield. Um, you know, they brought in Sonny and Michelle or Sonny and Michelle to try to, you know, be a little bit better between the tackles and things like that. Isaiah Spiller. I'm kind of intrigued about him long-term, but not really ready to help, but they need, the Texans should have like two Damian pierces. Like yeah. there's no reason that they shouldn't. Um, you know Nick has kind of been limited with draft. I mean, he's only second draft; didn't have a first or second last year. So you know the resources haven't been great, and he missed on Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack's supposed to be that guy. Marlon Mack was supposed to be the starter, uh, but Casario badly missed on him and never even made it to camp. Never even made the team. You know he he was he wasn't on your roster by the time you kicked off the season.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. And I, I I thought it was good as well, just in the running back theme. I think the Troy Harrison performance was good because there's been a lot of times where he's kind of whiffed on a few blocks of late, but, and I know he's learned the position, he's converted, I mean, you know, everybody knows the story, we've heard it, and it's going to be probably on every broadcast every time he makes a play, (laughs) but I think it was good to see him um, from an offensive point of view, but I thought Kenyon Green, that was his worst game to date, Um, Tunsil gave away penalties, Howard went off injured, got bull rushed by, or not bull rushed, but kind of got, you know, a sort of quick inside step from Mac I don't think Howard's played well this year A. G. can gave up his fair share Quisenberry didn't play as well as he did last week so the whole line I think as a whole didn't necessarily serve um, all that great greatly um, the, the tight end position continues to just be kind of a churn because nobody's kind of healthy as we said OG Howard just didn't match up well against Darwin and Jay Z kept going for him um, and the receiver position just doesn't seem to quite you know you get Tyler Johnson active you know why? If you're not going to give them the ball, or at least, you know, have one or two plays for a guy to to, to say, Tyler, we've got two plays, you're going to be out there for maybe 10, uh, but we've got these two plays schemed up for you. And I think it just comes back to that whole usage of of the offence, just looks sluggish. Now, they did get in with three points, and I think at that point you thought, you know, maybe they've got a chance. But as you said, when well, they just didn't convert the field goal at a big time, got to have it, please. Um Kenyon Green gets beat by Jerry Tillery through on Mills, um, and then you end up kicking a field goal. And I think that happened too many times. They had the missed field goal early on as well. um, So they left too many points. And I think the quality of the offence, the usage of the personnel, the margin of error is so small, you can't afford to miss a field goal, not convert from a a, a muffed uh, kickoff from, um, from the returner. I think just you know those three instances alone were just enough to, to push this team where it is right now out of contention to win the game.
0: Yeah, the offensive line's a bit curious to me. Um, I thought they've been overall okay uh, through the first three weeks. Titus Howard really has kind of been a microcosm for his whole career, kind of leaving you know much to be desired. And the Texans have already committed a good amount of money for him next year too, picking up his fifth year option. You would hope that he would solidify the position. He's been up and down. Uh, he's there's been times where I thought he's looked pretty good, and some other times where he's not. Uh, Laramie, Laramie Tunsil, Laramie uh, Tunsil, Kenyon Green has been. You know, learn it on the fly. I think it's tough for a rookie to, you know, be great right out of the gate. Much better run blocker than he is a pass blocker, though. I think that's very evident. Uh, to me, the biggest weaknesses is in why the Texans' offensive line as a whole is probably still below average. And, look, Justin Brett's situation probably comes into play here. I think Cannon and Quisenberry are, you know, just below average. I think that that area of the offensive line is the biggest weakness for this offensive line. And if you want to throw Titus Howard into that, too, just center – Everything right of center um, has been a bit of a struggle. So, yeah, that's an area too where you would expect them to be better because you, know, you spend a first rounder on Howard, and maybe it's unfair for us to grade Howard as a first round talent, but that offensive line has three first rounders on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not living up to expectation. I think, yeah, Ken, you know, learn a lot from the I saw. So, um, his position coach getting in his ear after the penalty, and then it was kind of he kind of got sort of a shoving match with, with one of their their defensive <laughs> linemen as well. And I think it was probably frustration on his part. Yeah, um, I saw Lovey talking about today that he kind of owned up to that and held his hands up and wasn't, you know, where he needed to be, I think he just kind of, he sinks down a little bit, he's kind of, he's, he's pad level kind of, he almost sort of lunges into the block and I think it just kind of leaves him, um, when his hands and his feet don't quite match up at the point of attack, I think he seems to get a bit sloppy and, um, you know, another first round pick, Jerry Tillery. It was a surprise first round pick, but he beat you know, he beat him to the punch a couple of times, and it was a tough day, I think, for the line. Um, and they gave up big plays, and again, the ball security when Davis gets hit, the ball pops out. So the yeah, there was a lot there not to like. I think on the defensive side of the ball, I thought Petrie, after having a kind of statistically good game last week, was was his worst game by a, some distance in the run against the pass, he gave the touchdown early. Um, I don't know if it was the change in personnel, the linebackers, but I thought both safeties were all over the place all day, um, getting caught out and continue to not be able to pass on receivers moving in and out of zones from corner to to safety. That seems to be um, a real struggle for the team.
0: I think Petrie's a really aggressive player, right? A lot of times that's one of his greatest strengths, but I I thought that the Chargers kind of used that aggression against him, and they were able to take advantage of that. Um, I I think the same can be said for Owens a little bit. Owens can kind of chase those tackles a lot. You know, trying came into the game, where was leading the league in tackles, I think, right, which is a testament to the linebacking core. But I I thought that they were over-aggressive. I did, and it led them to being out of position a lot. It led to Austin Eckler having a couple big plays that he shouldn't have. So... You know, that's the the negative of having young players that are your best players is that, it's, look, Bill O'Brien talked about this all the time, right? He didn't like to play rookies. Why didn't he like to play rookies? Because you had moments like this. You had moments like this that lead to huge chunk, explosive plays. And uh, that happened to the Texans a lot yesterday. and I thought Petrie was to blame a couple of times.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. And, I, and, and as you said, you learn on the fly and yeah, it will catch you and you will have off days. And you're reliant on young guys who will, you know, are going to be mistake prone mm-hmm. by definition of the amount of snaps are played at this level. But where do you think, if this slide continues, we've got obviously Jacksonville coming up. If this slide continues, where does it leave, firstly, the coaching staff, where do you think that kind of leaves them as a view? Because, I mean, it was always an assumption that the, the, the general context of how he got hired and I know, some guys were talking about this at the weekend about, you know, Cal's interference and fulfilling his father's wish and all this kind of stuff. Um, certainly, kind of not seeming the most prudent move, but certainly, there was no other team's interest. But where does it leave Lovey Smith and his coaching staff? Just say this team only wins two or three games, which you know, Giants, Washington, yeah. maybe a divisional game, you know, that it's hard to see them coming.
0: You know, we were talking about this on the show today. If you end up with two three wins, and Lovey Smith, who's a defensive minded coach, he's calling your defensive plays. If you have that type of season and you have 30, 31st, 32nd defense in the NFL, I don't know how you can justify bringing him back, especially especially if you go into the draft and you, you know that you're going to go rookie quarterback. Because how many teams in the league have a young quarterback, but they also have an offensive-minded head coach with that young quarterback? Justin Herbert might be the exception, right? And mm-hmm. the Chargers have been criticized that Staley's not winning enough games with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Burrow has uh, Taylor. Kyler Murray has Cliff. Trevor Lawrence, they brought in. Uh, he had two offensive-minded coaches. He had Urban Meyer first, and then they brought in Doug Peterson, of course. Uh, Josh Allen's an exception because McDermott's a defensive-minded guy. I, I think it's going to be very tough to move on from Lovey. I, do- I wouldn't bet that they would move on from Lovey. It's going to be almost impossible to do it but if you go to you, know, you have to factor in the tie now if you win two games three wins you're two 14 and one you're three 13 and one i and your defense is abysmal i don't know how you could bring him back and look at the rest of your roster with a straight face especially if it gets worse especially if you see the unraveling you know i i mentioned earlier the davis mills i feel like he's getting frustrated with pep i haven't noticed that defensively and look I think the Texans are still playing hard for Levy. They came back in that game yesterday. Didn't roll over. Uh, didn't quit. It's a difficult. It's difficult to move on from him. If they win two or three games, and you're drafting a franchise offensive quarterback, I don't know how you can't move on from him.
1: Yeah, and I think if you if you as you said if you draft a, a young guy, you really need a head coach who's also the play caller to give you that stability because then at least those two guys are tied together. Um, and you've not got the ch- the, you know, the the possibility of having a successful play con season and then getting head coaching job somewhere else. Um, and I I think you know it's it's obviously I, I it, well one I struggle to see teams that are worse than us. Yeah. Really, there's a couple of candidates, but I thought the Bears are one of them. And you know they would be real at any point really look markedly better than them. No. Um, you know injuries will play its part. Form will play its part. Um, but I I think there's a very good chance. Or probably, how unlikely is it, do you see it right now, as not you know, being the first pick, or not being the first pick, rather? I mean, it seems pretty sticked on, really, from what you've seen. I know things can change, but it's hard to envisage as not being the first overall pick.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought that going into last year, too, though, and they ended up with the third pick now. They got off to a better start last year. Um, I've started watching a lot of college quarterbacks because I anticipate the Texans having their pick of the litter. I think that, you know, they're going to have the first pick. You mentioned a couple of games that they could win. Uh, I think they're only going to be favored in one more game. I can only see them being favored against Washington. They're not yeah. going to be a favorite on the road against New York. I don't see them being a favorite anywhere else. Uh, Jacksonville at home. Mm-hmm. Unless Trevor Lawrence is hurt, I don't think they'll be a favorite in that game. No. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I've seen some of the computer models that, you know, project the Texans to, to have that top pick which I'm okay with, you know, I, I, this is a rebuild and Casario, Casario won't say it's a rebuild. And he talked about, Hey, doesn't like that word rebuild, but there's a reason that he didn't trade future picks for the now, right? He's not, he's not a fool. I mean, this is very much a rebuild. This, this roster is going to be in a much better spot in 2023, 2024, 2025. And you mentioned that's the time you hope it all pans out and it all hits. And maybe you can you know, get back to prominence. I think the Texans could, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team in 23, but I think they can have a Jacksonville type season that that Jacksonville is currently having. Like, I don't think Jacksonville at the end of the day is going to be a playoff team. Maybe they play better than I think and win nine games and sneak in. Um, But I could see the Texans as soon as next year, if everything falls into place, winning seven, eight, nine games. Now a lot has to go right. They have to continue to get development on all of their rookies. Now they need to take a step up and play. Nick Casario needs to have another solid draft class and you're probably going to need good play from a rookie quarterback, which is almost impossible in the NFL. Even the very best quarterbacks struggle as rookies. So they are probably you know two years away from the earliest playoff window opening up, but I think they can be a much more competitive team as soon as next year. I think it's very likely they have the number one pick.
1: Yeah. And is there any guys out there that have caught your eye? I mean, cause it seems, it seems difficult. I think on paper, to pass on Will Anderson if he do yeah. have that pick because, just because I mean he's he can do everything. He's he's lighter than what you probably want from a four man front and love his scheme, but I mean the play just is you know, was it thirty odd TFLs last year. He's probably gonna track that again this year. Um there's been some difficult games for Bama, partly for somebody will not mention stalling their offense side, so, but obviously they've got a quarterback as well. Is there any guys that you, you've watched you just think yeah he's got it
0: I like Anderson a lot. Um yeah. I I want a quarterback, but if the Texans drafted Anderson at number one, I'm not gonna be mad at that. Yeah. He's just too good of a player. Now you might be you might need to get creative with how you can aggressively attack a rookie quarterback uh in this draft. Now it is a deep draft class. You know, Bryce Young is somebody everybody talks about. I don't know if he's a Nick Casario guy because of how small he is. Yeah. Curious how NFL evaluators are gonna look at Bryce Young. Um, you know, he's roughly the same size as Kyler Murray, right? He's probably an inch taller, but probably 20 pounds lighter, you know, somewhere in that range. Um, but Kyler's been okay in the NFL. I think Kyler would be a good NFL quarterback if he was a better decision maker, like we were talking about earlier. And, and Bryce Young, you know, is kind of the opposite of that, where, you know, he's got enough athleticism to move around, but is not looking to just run all the time. And I think his best attribute is his decision making. I, I like Bryce Young a lot. I just don't see him as a an option for Casario. CJ Stroud's hard to evaluate for me because of what Ohio state does offensively. And they're so efficient offensively, you know, they're they're doing a lot of RPO stuff, play action, fake the handoff, immediately throwing to a wide open receiver. Who's three yards, a first round wide open receiver. Who's three yards away from any sort of, you know, defender. So he's hard to evaluate. Um, I would be and field scares, every urban Meyer, Ohio state quarterback kind of is Mm -hmm. Why I'm scared of Stroud, I'm more scared about that system and those that system developing NFL quarterbacks than I am Stroud. Uh, Justin Fields is the most recent example. Uh, you can look at a lot of the other Ohio State quarterbacks: Haskins, Cardell, uh, Jones, I Jones. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you you can even go further back. I mean, Day came from an Urban Meyer scheme and system, right? He learned over under Urban Meyer, which is one of the most efficient offensive systems there is in the college game. Urban had Tim Tebow at Florida. Great college quarterback. Not a good NFL quarterback. The best Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, Ohio State system quarterback was Alex Smith. And, and Alex Smith even, I think it's fair to say, was a disappointment as a number one pick. He had a good career, but was he you know the first overall pick of a draft? Probably not. So I'm more scared of the system when it comes to evaluating Stroud than I am a Stroud. I think Stroud is a talented quarterback. It just worries me that he has all this talent around him in an offense that makes it very easy in the college game. So that scares me with Stroud. I'd be excited about having him. And then Will Levis is somebody I like a lot who, you know, his college numbers aren't going to stack up to Bryce Young. They're not going to stack up to C.J. Stroud. But he's um, big, which I think Casario likes. He's athletic enough. Uh, He's got a really good arm. He's got a very strong arm, but I also think he's accurate. I think he, you know, he plays one of the things I love from college quarterbacks is when they play at a power five program that's not very good, but they elevate that program. I mean, Kentucky going into the Ole Miss game was ranked number seven. Their offensive line's dreadful. I mean, terrible. He's being pressured on every single play, yet they almost go into Ole Miss and they should have won the game. And, you know, they had a touchdown called back because he didn't let the line get set, which is on Levis, but I like Will Levis a lot. So any of those four prospects I'd be excited about.
1: Yeah, Levis kind of seems like the most sort of prototypical tick-the-boxes, yeah. traditionally trained scout in the way that Casario is. I think that kind of feels like one maybe, I don't know. I think I, I, I can see, you can see him auctioning off that pick because of the, the potential demand yeah. um, and still find a way to get a Will Anderson or something like that. I, could, you know, I, w- I would not, you know, the manoeuvring is certainly something he you prides himself upon, so... I keep thinking that might be the the scenario, but in terms of just where this team is through f- you know f- four games of the greater outlook, how do you view Caserio's role? Because I think you know I, I think it's fair to question him at this point. Um, I know obviously this draft class is, is still in it you know it's in its infancy in terms of its output. Last mm-hmm. year's ones kind of fading by the week. <laughs> Really, yeah. I know it was limited and it was early round picks, but I think when you look at that, plus the free agency, plus the coaching and stuff, plus the fact that we've only got 53 guys on the roster right now because the salary cap's a complete mess, you know, and I think you can't get away from that. Continues to be that. Justin Britt, Reeves, Mabin, all these bad contracts. On paper, it's hard to, It's I know it takes time. It's a three-year evaluation for a GM. I think yeah, you've got to give them that as an absolute bare minimum, but as we're sitting here sort of halfway through that three years, there's a lot to point at to say could have been better.
0: Yeah. I think he talks a better game than the actions, right? I mean, when you hear him speak, I mean, he sounds like he, it, it instills trust whenever he speaks, which is always a little bit worrisome. Um, I probably lean more on the side of trusting him than not trusting him to to get this organization back to the playoffs. But there's some huge red flags now you know, rumors of how much was he involved in the David Kelly hire? How much was he involved in the Lovey Smith hire? And I understand that. I do get that, respect that, but he's also the one answering the questions to it. And he's the one going out in the press conference the next day saying, this is who we hired as the general manager or as the, as the head coach. So as a general manager, no matter how you're getting that head coach, it uh, it falls on your shoulders that that that's on your resume. So you hire David Culley, who was so inept that you had to fire him after an end of, at the end of one season. That's on you. Um, you hire Lovey Smith, who it's fair to question that the game has passed him up. It's he hasn't had a winning season in the NFL since 2012. It's not going to have another winning season this year in the NFL, and you hired him without ever really being one of the candidates. Was there external uh, circumstances that led to that hire? Yeah, but you also signed off on it. You're the one answering the questions about uh, Lovey Smith being your head coach. So, from a coaching perspective and hiring the coaches, it's probably over two. It's at least over one with the jury still being out, and probably over two. Some of the some of the trades last year I thought were trivial. You know, trading 6 round pick for Ryan Finley never makes it to camp. What are you doing? <laughs> A fifth rounder for Anthony Miller, you cut him a week later. There was a corner, I think, from Green Bay, you traded a sixth rounder for, he gets cut the next week. You're just giving away late-round draft picks. And look, late-round draft picks, whatever, but I'd rather have those late-round draft picks than not have the players on the roster that you traded those late-round draft picks for. So that's a red flag. I'll I'll be at a small red flag. It's still troublesome. Um, some of the free agents have been fine, you know. Ha- they haven't. They've been limited on what they can do because of the the cap situation that you mentioned. I think Casario's has done a pretty good job of getting the cap in a good place next year, to where they're in a position to strike and go out and try to find some free agents that could be part of the rebuild. Um, the draft, like you said, it's probably too early to call. Uh, last year's draft looked better on opening day than it does now. I still think Davis Mills. You know, drafting him in the third round. If if you have a third round quarterback. That is starting games for you the next year. That's probably a hit. I don't know if that's necessarily a miss. Uh, Nico's fine. You know, Roy Lopez is struggling, but you found him in the sixth round. That's fine. Um, this year's draft, it looks like you've had some pretty good hits. And again, four games in, the jury's still out. Um, unconventional though, right? You know, Kenyon Green, a guard in the middle of the first round, unconventional. I think Kenyon Green's a good player, but unconventional. Uh, Jalen Petrie looks like a hit in the second. Unfortunately, we won't see Mechie this year. We haven't seen Harris yet. I like those picks on draft day, although you can question the trade-up, right? How much value are you losing by trading up uh, the few times that uh, Casario has done that? I like Derek Stingley. I think Derek Stingley is going to be good. It's unconventional to take a, cor- uh, a cornerback at number three with some of these playmakers that went after him at the wide receiver position. One of my biggest fears with the 2022 draft, from a, a Casario perspective and a Texans perspective, is that one of these receivers that was tra- that was drafted after Stingley, whether it's Wilson, Olave, whatever, whatever receiver, if that guy turns into Justin Jefferson or if that guy turns into Jamar Chase, you drafted a corner over that over both of those guys. Hmm. Um, so that's you know unconventional. A lot of times can be fine if it works, but some unconventional thinking when it doesn't work, it's going to be questioned later. Yeah.
1: There was the, the late touchdown when they beat Cleveland the other week for the Jets and Wilson, albeit it was catching balls from Joe Flacco, but, yeah, there yeah. was just something about that that just looked elite. Yep. Um And, you know, and you have to put them in that environment and that scenario to see if they really got it. Because, obviously, you know, there's 101 guys that look great in college, but maybe only 10 pan out of the pros or whatever the over the statistics. is probably, probably closer to a quarter. But, you know, I think it just yeah there's potential there I think it wasn't a a great draft classic you're hoping this one's going to be a bit deeper Um, just the COVID and everything trying to super seniors knocking it all off I think we're now finally out of that obviously the salary cap I think we're sort of shy of 50 million but only 37 players under contract, so you know, there's they're not going to be lavish. Um, certainly, any spin I don't think Kazir will ever operate like that, but at some point, he needs to start signing free agents who you think, yeah, okay, he's, he's a guy we'd like to keep around. Um, mm-hmm. and it might not be a big role on the team, but I, I don't think we've attracted enough of those, and part of that will be by the position we've been in. But it's difficult, but it's an ongoing evaluation. It's easy to kind of, I suppose, that you've only really got the bigger picture because the hearing now is. is is shy of where it needs to be to be competitive. Um, And I think that's for sure. But do you see the Jacksonville game prior to the bye? Jeremy, is that a chance to to win a game or have they improved enough under that new coaching staff um, that's kind of ignited Trevor Lawrence?
0: I mean, uh, it's winnable in the sense that every game in the NFL is winnable. Um, I think Jacksonville is much improved. I think Jacksonville might be one of the more improved teams in the league. Um, rookie quarterbacks going into their second season, you know, you start to see a much bigger leap. Um, the best thing that could happen for Trevor Lawrence is they brought in Doug Peterson there. Doug Peterson had Carson Wentz playing at MVP level and he had Nick Foles beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. Doug Peterson can coach. Uh, that was a godsend for Trevor Lawrence. They have a one-two punch at running back. Didn't play well against the Eagles because the Eagles have a pretty good, a really good defense. But, you know, they have a legit one-two punch. Uh, a lot of people criticized the uh, money spent on Christian Kirk. And maybe he is overpaid. But even if he's overpaid, he's a good receiver. Uh, so they have some talent there, both both of the uh, Jones, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, and their defense. I mean, Trevon Walker has looked pretty good so far. So he was an element that, uh, you know, they didn't have last year. Uh, I think Jacksonville is much better. I don't think the Texans are going to win a game this year unless another opponent plays poorly. They give them the game. They turn the ball over. So, I i, I mean, that's how I would envision a scenario where the Texans go into Jacksonville win is if you force Trevor Lawrence. I think he turned it over four times yesterday. He fumbled it yeah. four times. Like you're going to have to force him into multiple turnovers. You're going to need multiple turnovers, and you're going to have to, you know, not turn it over. I know it's cliche, but, you know, Davis Mills is going to have to play a little bit better um if you're going to win a game down the, you know he's gonna to have to win a game in the fourth quarter he had not been able to do that he's had chances and hasn't been able to do that he's been dreadfully bad uh in the fourth quarter. so that's really the recipe i mean it's a team that's not going to be as talented as anybody they play so they're going to need an opponent to play down to their level and they're going to have to be able to capitalize in big moments and
1: they haven't done that yet yeah when you think they completely shut down that Chargers offense that you know tore through us without you know a- a level of regularity in the first quarter um, alone, um, coupled with the fact that if they hadn't started fumbling in the rain um, against the early form NFC team in the Eagles, and I think yeah, there's, there's yeah, there's there's not a a huge case to be made. I think when you're talking about Doug Peterson there, though, you know, I think like. That was an option we could have had, didn't and and you got to remember he was not Jacksonville's first choice. It wasn't till the till the deal didn't go through and their number one candidate that uh, and Byron Leftwich that um, that they went there. But you know, as you said, proven track record of improving guys, and he's a great guy that you'd like. You know, you're talking about drafting a quarterback next year. You know, perfect coach for it. Um, so yeah, it kind of makes you question that grander picture again. I think when you look at Jacksonville, and I think when you look at Detroit, I think when you look at. Um, and obviously with the the vested interest in the draft pick, when you see Atlanta winning at home against, it was a field goal fest, um, Mm -hmm. but when you see them winning against the Browns, you see these teams have progressed in Drake London. I wasn't a fan of him and I I, I was on the record saying that, Um, but he he looks like he's going to be a good pro. Um, When you see these teams progressing, it kind of feels like they're doing it a bit quicker and a bit more prudently than we are and i think and that's you've got to always hold yourself up to the 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 standard of the league not just your own bubble because it's easy to get lost in that but i think that there's definitely feels a sense of these teams are piecing it together a little bit quicker than we are
0: yeah um i guess to defend casario they they had a year leg up on you right you know the Texans were in the playoffs a little bit more recently, I would imagine, than some of those. I mean, Texans aren't that far removed from the playoffs. It's hard to believe. Um, and then you didn't have your first and your second because of the damage of Bill O'Brien. So, like, in a lot of ways, this is your first true year of the rebuild. Whereas, you know, Atlanta's had a year up on you, Jacksonville's had a year up on you, Detroit's probably had fourteen years up on you in uh, in their rebuild, but. Yeah, I mean it's kind of a dire state. Just uh, you know, you kind of appreciate that Lovey Smith has them playing hard. Uh, you appreciate that you do have some foundational pieces on this year's team, whereas last year you you didn't. I don't know how we made it through last year. I mean, what was the foundational piece on last year's team? Um, so maybe the arrow's trending up, but it's still a very long way to go, I think is a, a fair way to say it. Although You know, things change fast in the NFL. I could could see a scenario where the Texans, you know, get to six, seven, eight wins next year. It's going to take a lot of things to happen right, but, you know, things can change fast.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it's one week at a time, and you'll see hopefully Stingley's arm's okay, but a friendly fire catching him, uh, and then he landed on it, and then he was in and out of the game at a brace. So hopefully that's okay, because you want him to play as many snaps and touch when he needs to be healthy, because that was the reason why, you know, he didn't go, you know, one one overall because he's some his 2019 team take definitely justified it but health has been the big big detractor and as you said you know the, the kenyan green's always going to be compared to the guys around and you know zion johnson was over the other side of the field looked pretty solid so mm-hmm. you know i think uh you certainly didn't see him blowing up any pass uh pass sets so um albeit a right guard. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to be a lot to be decided when you got these picks coming. You know, there is a catalyst for change. We're not sitting rudderless like we have, or it felt like we were rudderless in years prior. Um but yeah, there's a lot to go in our favour. And I think Jacksonville was always going to be quite an inflection point for us. How much had they improved would historically continue to sweep them? And I, I wonder, Jeremy, in a week's time, how do you think the sentiment will be of people because you know we were not touched on it but but Alan was out there with the helmet on warming up the arm um, yeah you know it was very close to Mills getting benched if you're then looking up at Jacksonville when you didn't even think that was possible last year and you know Lawrence always was bubbling under the surface because you can see the elite traits there but I think the sentiment will take a big shift towards not a good place if you go and you get and you get turned over by Jacksonville because people one people aren't used to that. Yeah, you know, too. It's maybe a bit of a reminder of how far there is to go.
0: I think you're starting to hear a little bit of that. You know, it's only been four games, and you're starting to hear, "Oh, should the Texans be making a change in offense coordinator at the end of the year?" Uh, yeah, it'd be really hard to move on from Lovey Smith after one year, but you might have to move on from Lovey Smith after one year. So you're starting to hear some of that, and I think it, you know, the the momentum of that would continue to pick up some steam. Uh, especially if if you're losing to Jacksonville, because you're right, you know, Jacksonville, if you just look at the name, you should you should at least be competitive or beat Jacksonville. Um, so I think you could start to see a little bit of that if it if it does happen. Um, I'm curious, too, to see how the Texans respond after this because this is their this was their worst game defensively. It was the best offense they played by far, but their worst game defensively. You know, I want to see how they respond. I want to see how that defense looks. You know, Lovey talked earlier about that, the Kyle Allen thing too, and he doubled down on Davis Mills. Like, look, Davis Mills is our starter. So we'll see. Yeah,
1: and just having that buy early, you know, if you go to Jacksonville, don't look competitive. And then come out with a trip to Vegas um, and a team that was kind of just hovering above you. You could lose that one quite comfortably based on how well they've played on the road in the last two years. Mm -hmm. In fact, longer than that, really. Um, The Bill O'Brien era was riddled with poor performances on the road. Then you play Tennessee. And then you got a Thursday and you got a short week against the Eagles. So you could easily lose the next four. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you go eight games without a win... um, particularly when you've got the bye week early, that almost hampers your ability to make a lot of changes, change coordinator, change positions, change quarterback, whatever it might be. Um, It's difficult to kind of see any kind of beyond that back-to-back games in New York and Washington just because of the, the perceived strength of your opponent. But it was the same for Chicago. It's hard to see them kind of getting some stimulus and I think that's probably going to be the concern for everybody in the building right now.
0: Yeah, it's going to be like you start to lose teams at that point, too. Right. You, you start. Oh, and six. 0, well, they have the tie. Uh, but if you start winless in six, if you start winless in seven, you start winless in eight. That's when you start to kind of lose the locker room. I, I haven't seen any signs of that. I, I think last uh, yesterday's game is an example of the opposite of that, where you're down big early and you still had the fight. You, you still had the effort. Um, and look, Lovey, Lovey's very positive with them. I think it's by design because I don't think you'd be that positive with a team that you expected more out of. You know, usually you're positive with teams you don't have much expectation for. And I think that's what's leading to Lovey's uh, over the top, uh, you know, positiveness. Um, I don't know if like changes can really like who else can call plays offensively. You know, I'm not sure we've seen any of these other guys call plays offensively. I'd have to go back and look at it. I also don't see the point. You know, this is you know 2022 so much about you know answering questions that you have about certain players and certain guys. Um, one of the thoughts I had earlier today too is, like, Lovey's not a young guy. I wonder if at any point Lovey would entertain, eh? I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to go hang out with the family a little bit more. I'm I'm going to maybe retire at the end of this season. Like, I wonder if that ever creeps into the mind of Lovey. Lovey's a real competitive guy. I mean, I'm sure that you know he's not going to want to 14 and 1 to be his last year on his resume but at the end of the day that's a that's week in week out of media abuse and you know trying to scheme up a defense with you know talent that that they can't win you a lot of football games i wonder if that ever you know enters the mind of lovey by the end of the year
1: yeah it's funny you say that cuz i think the in terms of the media stuff because i think it's a couple of new faces in that room um mm-hmm. this year and certainly there's been a lot more kind of direct question and a lot kind of yeah. probing and, and follow-ups and 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 stuff like that this year that you've definitely seen that and I I, I noticed somebody referenced it and they, and they said oh it didn't need to be like that after week one but ultimately you you threw away a chance to win a game that might have been your only winner this season um and I think there's uh there's definitely you can when you can feel that I, I think I think there's always a kind of inflection point, or of, or or a, or a point of of passing on the frustration because ultimately people get frustrated talking about the same stuff. I I certainly am. I'm looking forward to the yep. bye week. Usually we'll do college prospects this year. I'll just be taking a break because <laughs> it's quite hard. You know it's difficult, and you guys are on the radio every day or whatever. You know, and it's you know for a few hours and and trying to piece that together. Obviously, you know we're lucky we've got teams um that are competent and a team that has shown a real sign of growth in the Rockets and a team that might win a championship, you know, that you can balance it out with. But mm-hmm. it's 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 a it's a level of, of, of you can feel that bubbling because there's it's tough and you and you, you realise in of these cities in Cleveland, Detroit like you mentioned earlier, how that contempt and that frustration and that just general dismay and, and disillusionment and disenfranchise of the fan base can happen. You can see that. Um and it was booze to almost bu- rolling out a backup quarterback in a year that was meant to be, you know, silver platter handed to a guy who arguably earned it last year. I don't think he necessarily is earned the chance that he's been given. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's it's not necessarily taking a direction of growth. And until you see that and you see the real material progress each Sunday, um, it felt like that a little bit week one, but it's, but you you then coughed up a tie, which is feels like it seems worse with every passing moment. But yeah, I think until we get to that point, where it's 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 real progress and people feel like, right, I can see the direction on the field and off the field. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be testy. I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. A lot of, like a lot of times people want that progress to be in wins, and a lot of times it doesn't have to be. You know, Davis Mills could play a really good game in defeat, and you could see that progress. Um, Derek Stingley. I thought Jalen Petrie is a good example of this. Jalen Petrie played a really good game in Chicago, at least statistically in defeat. You know, you can kind of, you know, look at that as a positive and somebody that you can count on in the future. You know, you kind of almost have to, you know, recondition your mind on how to watch this football team. Because if you're watching this football team to win a lot of games in 2022, you're going to be very frustrated. It's just you know a realistic viewpoint of where the Texans are. Could they could they win three or four? Sure. Uh, could they win a couple in a row and then a couple in a row and somehow get to five? Maybe. But that that seems like the very you know the, the apt aptimu- the absolute optimal amount of wins they can get. You know, so you almost have to change your viewpoint on how you're watching this team. You know, and kind of keep in the back of your mind that you know help is coming. You you have two first rounders in 23. You have your full allotment of picks. Uh, same thing in 24, two first rounders, full allotment in picks. Uh, you mentioned the salary cap space, but only to, you know, a certain amount of players and you, you can't really have, you know, be big fish, you know, or big game hunting. Um, but you have help on the way. Like, can they go out and spend all that money on a Christian Kirk to come in and help the offense? No. Can they have the spending spree of Jacksonville? No. But there should be help. There should be a couple of starters that you sign in free agency. There's going to be a couple of starters that you bring up in the draft. So like my my viewpoint of 2022 when I watched the Texans is like am I pulling for them in the heat of the battle and in the games yeah I want to see Davis Mills have a game winning drive uh, I wanted them to hang on and beat the Colts when they were up 20 to 3 I want to see Davis Mills prove me wrong um, I think a more realistic viewpoint though is you you see you know you watch Davis Mills and you're you're making your own evaluation if you think he's the guy um, you watch Derek Stingley Jr. and you, you watch him to see if he was worth the number three pick um, so you almost have to rethink of how you watch the games uh, and kind of look at it from a little bit of a, um, is that kind of a depressing way to watch the games? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Cause you're not rooting for a team who has playoff contention and it's the NFL and we all love the NFL and want the, the, the local team to be competitive, but I don't think you can look at it like that from a realistic point of view.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. I think you've, I mean, and I've got absolutely no problem with having the first overall pick because it makes it <laughs> interesting and I think it gives you a hope that you can find a guy, but we know it doesn't always work out that way and that's, yeah. that's, you know, it's always in the back of your mind, but um, yeah, it was interesting you saw that about the fans, I think it was, I think it was Parker McCollum, the country music singer, tweeting about how the Texans are, you know, he's almost kind of washed with them um, and <laughs> But it's almost people that aren't in touch, I suppose, the, the, with the real yeah. impulse kind of, of the of the the franchise and where it is. Um that it's not gonna happen right now and it's a process. Mm-hmm. Um so we'll see. Um but Jeremy, thank you very much for your time. Any last words before we shoot out here?
0: No, I think that you should just uh kind of temper the expectations on what you think of the Texans in 2022. Know that helps on the way. Um, and be excited about the future. I, I do think that the Texans have a, a, a promising future. Now, Nick Casario needs to hit on draft picks. Um, but they have capital going down the road. They have this year's draft class, they have the the picks coming up in the future too. That, you know, I, I think you can see a path where this team gets back to playing significant games late in the season within the next couple of years. And I think uh, you know, there there are better days ahead for Texans fans. Yeah. Trust the process,
1: more change to come. Um, it will be the only constant. But yeah, hopefully we get back to a point where we can start talking about coming back into games and, and making it worthwhile, not just being ever so close. But thanks to Jeremy for his time. Thanks for everybody listening again this week. Like, share, uh, give us a comment on Facebook, share the podcast where you can. Um, uh, keep us, help us growing. and this year as we're in year four grinding it out um with you every week hopefully it helps you make some more sense of it and we'll be back next week um before the bye for a final time uh take a rest after that but we'll talk jacksonville next week with you uh but thanks again for listening i to you